Now, this is a Sunday morning right now, and we are here gathered in a church service. Now, I have a question for you. Where are your coworkers, your neighbors, your extended family, your, your classmates? Where are they right now? Unless you have a very unique set of relationships, odds are good that the majority of them are not in a church service this morning. They might be at home, perhaps still sleeping, or relaxing with a cup of coffee, or outside enjoying the beautiful weather, working in their yard, exercising, hiking, things like that. They might be watching TV, hanging out with friends, any number of things, but they are mostly probably somewhere besides a church. Now you may hear this and think, you know, it is a nice day. I kind of wish I was somewhere besides here as well. And you know what? appreciate your honesty if that's what you're thinking. Um, but I do commend you for being here this morning. But the reality is that in our culture, most people don't care that much about church and Christianity any longer. In previous generations, church and Christianity were a significant part of people's lives. I like the analogy of home field advantage, how sports teams, especially in the NFL, want to get home field advantage through the playoffs. That's a big deal. And Christians for many generations here in America have enjoyed home field advantage. Where even though not every person would be a Christian, at the same time, the vast majority of people had their values significantly shaped by the Judeo-Christian worldview. And many of them prioritized church attendance. But the reality is our culture is undergoing seismic shifts. And now church and Christianity are not that popular anymore. And most people who call themselves, or many people who call themselves Christians, aren't really involved in the church or can't really tell you that much about the Bible. They just are Christian because they're not Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or atheist or something like that. But the reality is, again, that many people don't care that much about church or Christianity and that if you were to invite them to a church service or a church activity, some of them would probably be willing to come, which is a good thing. But... The likelihood of someone getting involved in a church family on an ongoing basis is relatively minimal. Now, it's not impossible. It's just relatively minimal. This is the type of culture that we live in these days where church and Christianity are not all that popular. And the reason this is a big deal is that Jesus said he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. That no one can, can have a relationship with God except through Jesus. And so if someone is unwilling to associate themselves much with Christ or with a church that helps them grow closer to Christ, then they're missing out on the true life that God has to offer. And again, in our culture, it's not really going to work anymore just to put on nice programs and have good music and things like that and invite people to come in here. Because most people don't really care that much anymore about church or about Christianity. And so it begs the question of how then do we reach the people around us, the communities around us, the world around us with the good news of Jesus Christ if they are not really interested in coming into the church building or into church programs? That is a key question that we are looking at today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29 we are in a series right now called Roots, where we're examining the underlying values that nourish freedom's vitality. And today, the, the topic that we're looking at is called missional 
outreach. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that phrase, what does that really mean? Well, to be missional means that we are really living as missionaries, that we are on God's mission to take the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go, to our workplaces, to school, to, um, to our neighborhoods, to our family events, to our friend networks, to our hobbies, that we are on mission from God to be missionaries in everything that we do, that we aren't just focused on what's going on here in the church building, but that we are seeking to represent Christ well in everything we do seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dig in to Jeremiah chapter 29. Father, we thank you that you give us your word. Uh, Thank you that you give us clear teaching on how you want us to be a blessing to the people in our community with Christ-centered love. Thank you, Lord, that you Give us ways that we can still impact culture, that you give us hope. Because when we look at the world around us, there are many things taking place that may drain our hope, that may make us frustrated or discouraged. And Lord, it is a hard world, but we thank you, Lord, that that in Scripture, we not only have your authoritative teaching, but we have other people who lived in other times who loved you, but also lived in a place that wasn't necessarily honoring to you. So as we open the Jeremiah today, Lord, please give us wisdom in how we can live in a way that honors you and makes you known in the world around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may not be that familiar with Jeremiah. Um, Oftentimes we're more familiar with what's going on in the New Testament. But Jeremiah, he lived a long time ago, about 2,500 years ago. So about five, 600 years before the time of Christ. He was a prophet, and a prophet is someone sent by God to a people to deliver a message. And Jeremiah, he was sent in order to deliver messages, especially to the people uh, in the nation of Judah. Judah was a southern portion of Israel, and Judah at this point was going through a very tumultuous time. In 587 BC, the Babylonian Empire came in and overtook Judah. They, they defeated them militarily, and this was a very rough time for anyone who lived there because Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and those people who weren't killed in this invasion by the Babylonian Empire, many of them were carried off into exile back to Babylon. If you're wondering, where's Babylon? Where's all this taking place? Babylon is where Iraq is now. And so Jeremiah is coming, and God inspires him to write a letter to the people who are in exile in Babylon, whose homeland is in Judah. So that's where we're going to pick up today, Jeremiah 21. I'm going to read verse 1 and jump ahead to verse 4. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is a letter God has inspired Jeremiah to write this letter to these people living in exile. And here is the content of the letter, beginning in verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, you too 
will prosper. So even though this was written about 2,500 years ago to a very different culture, very different people, it still has incredible relevance for us here today. And one of the key messages that we need to see from this is that we are called to be a godly blessing to the city. Now, their city was very different than our city. I mean, our cities in general that we live in here are relatively small. 10, 12, 15,000 people, maybe much less than that. Maybe you live out in the country. But it's talking about being a godly blessing to the people who live in close geographical proximity around you. And it starts out calling them and calling us to remember who we represent. It says in verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I think about the people there who were living in Babylon. This was a very different place. They would be surrounded by people who had very different customs than they were accustomed to, who had different values, who, who worshipped different, different types of gods. And so they would be in this place, and it, would, it was obviously it was a foreign land. I mean, they certainly did not have home field advantage. It would be very, very disorienting. Yet God starts out this letter through Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. So this is a great reminder that wherever they are, even when they are in foreign land, God is still God. And the Lord Almighty, literally that could be translated the Lord of hosts. Now, who are the hosts? They are the, the heavenly angelic army. It's saying God is the Lord of this heavenly angelic army, army of angels. That is the God who is still God, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you are in. And I think about what type of comfort that would give them in realizing, you know what, we're in this foreign land, but God is still the same, and God is still sovereign, God is still powerful, God is still trustworthy. And this is something that we need to remember as well. Because, you know what, you don't have to look around very much before you see things that are very disheartening in our culture. I mean, you just look at media, look on social media. I mean, watch TV, newspaper, just talk with people. So many different things, whether it's in politics or whether it's with various uh, acts of violence, whether it's with um, just various social trends that are going on, that cause people to get frustrated or discouraged or just scared when you look into the future. And in the midst of this, we need to remember who we represent. No matter what is going on around us, God is still God, and he has a calling and a purpose for us. Now, one of the things that God is communicating to these people living in exile is they should not isolate themselves from the city around them. He said instead, verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Mary, have sons and daughters, um, goes on from there. They're saying, don't isolate yourselves from the city. Instead, make the city, in essence, your home. We'll we'll dig into that a little bit more in a minute. But what what he's pointing out is don't get into this us versus them mentality where you basically build a fortress around yourself. Because, you know, some churches even in today's culture do that. They look at what's going on in the culture around them, and they think, you know what? That's a really icky culture that's going to negatively influence us, and especially our children. So we need to build big walls around us and live in this Christian bubble. And, And you know what? We're good. They're bad. And so we just need to keep to ourselves as much as possible. And I think that would have been really tempting for these people from Judah who were carried in exile just to do that, to, to wall themselves off from everyone there. Just saying, you know what, they're evil. They aren't worshiping the one true God. We need to stay away from them as much as we possibly can. 
But God's saying, you know what? Don't isolate yourselves from the rest of them. Build houses there. Settle down. But he does say very clearly, don't imitate the city. Don't imitate what you see going on around around you. There still will be a distinctiveness about the way that they are living. He says in verse 6, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So he's telling them, carry on life and even, even perpetuate the family. Why is he saying this? Because he wants uh, the Israelites to continue to grow. Even though they're in a foreign land now, even though they're in exile, he does not want them to blend in with everyone around them. Now, I think it's important to understand what the Babylonian strategy was when they would conquer a foreign land. What they would do is they would ransack the homeland of these foreigners, and then they would bring back many people to their own cities. And when they brought them back, they didn't necessarily treat them super poorly. In fact, what they would oftentimes do is, is give them decent jobs, settle them in a decent neighborhood. Some of them even worked in governmental jobs. I think about Daniel. He was another guy who has a name or a book uh, written after him or that has his name there in the Old Testament. Daniel lived at the same basic time. He served the king. And so he, this is the strategy of the Babylonians where they would conquer a people. They'd bring a significant number of them back to their homeland, get them so assimilated into that city and into the culture there that they basically became Babylonians themselves. And so that over the course of just a couple of generations, if someone came into that city and asked, hey, are any of you guys Jews here? No one would raise their hands because everyone has gotten so accustomed to life in that particular city and with those particular values that there is not the distinctiveness anymore of being worshipers of the one true God. And so, so God is speaking to them, saying, you know what, Mary, have sons and daughters. He's already given them clear instructions in the past about not intermarrying with people of other religions. So he's calling the Israelites to expand their numbers there in that city. Maintain your distinctiveness, but don't isolate yourselves. Now I want to jump ahead now, or go to verse 7. Because I think verse 7 is really the key for us as we're thinking about our culture and how, you know what, Christians don't really have home field advantage here anymore. And think about their culture where they definitely didn't have home field advantage. It's really quite astonishing when you see what God says to them. He says also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, the Babylonians certainly were not people who honored God at all. I mean, they were very much anti the God of the Bible. They, just, they sought to destroy God's people. And so you would think God would say, you know what, wage war against them or, or isolate yourselves from them or something like that. But instead he says, bless them. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you. This word for peace is, uh, is the Hebrew word shalom. Now, when we think of peace, we typically think of either lack of anxiety or lack of conflict. But the word shalom is a much richer word than that. We don't really have an equivalent uh, English word. But the shalom talks about the sense of flourishing and vitality and wholeness, of joy, uh, of life. 
And so it's talking about seek this vitality of the city. Seek to be a blessing to the city holistically. Don't just represent God spiritually, even though that's certainly a part of it. But you're to be a blessing to the city in other ways as well. Socially, economically. I mean, just building up the structures and the well-being of the city. Seek its prosperity, God is saying. Pray to God for that city. And this is so countercultural. It's not what you would expect. But God's saying, you know what? Be a blessing to the city. And I believe that is a calling for us as well as we are thinking about how we are engaging with the community around us. Do we isolate ourselves? Do we um, try to engage them in some manner or another without, um, without watering down the message of the gospel? Well, it says very clearly here to bless those people who live around us. Even if they are not Christians, bless them. Um, I mean, by pointing them to Jesus, but also by, by helping meet their practical needs. By being kind to them, caring for them. And this is very similar to a message that Jesus gave us as well. Sermon on the Mount, Mount Matthew chapter 5. Let me read verses 13 through 16, which are, are so similar to what the prophet Jeremiah communicated to these exiles. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? You should be the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't become so similar to the culture around you that no one notices any difference at all. You need to remain, maintain your distinctive qualities as a Christian or be in the world, but not of the world. And then also he says, you are to be the light of the world. Don't hide that light. Don't get a fortress mentality where you're just trying to, to shelter yourselves from everyone. Instead, be out and engage with the world around you, being a blessing to the surrounding community. Be salt. Be light. You think about salt and light. Those are things that are absolutely essential to decent life. I and mean, you may have a doctor who says, you know what, you need to cut out some of the salt in your diet. But that's a little bit of a different circumstance because back then salt was essential for well-being. I mean, for instance, they didn't have refrigeration. And so if they had something that was perishable, especially meat, how did they preserve it? They would use salt. Put it on the meat and that would preserve the meat. Salt also adds flavor, as we all know. And Christians are to be the same way, adding flavor to the society around us in a healthy way, in a way that blesses other people, and preserving society in a healthy way. You think about light. I mean, many times we probably take light for granted until the electricity goes off and then we don't have it. But light is so valuable for seeing what's around you, for finding your way. Christians are to be the salt and the light of the world, pointing people to Christ, being a blessing to those around them. Now, in this series, we are talking about the, the values that shape us as a church. And most of the time through this series, we've been looking kind of more backwards chronologically just to look at, okay, what's, what have we already been doing in order to help live out these values that, that get the gospel into our lives and into the community around us? But today, we're, we're not so much looking at what's gone in the past. We're looking at where are we going 
in the future. It's this idea of a future vision. And for the last year, year and a half, our leadership board here at the church has been trying to clarify what is the vision that God is calling us to as a church. Now, we have a very clear mission. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus through up-and-out relationships. Now, this up-and-out idea talks about our up-relationship with God, our in-relationship with other Christians, and our out-relationship with the surrounding world. And so we have very clear marching orders. That tells us what to do on a day-to-day basis. We're seeking to make disciples. But the vision looks bigger picture than that. It talks about, okay, if God is working powerfully in our midst and, and really blessing that mission, and we're seeing disciples made, and we're living in vital up-and-out relationships, what do we believe God's calling us to on a bigger scale, especially in terms of reaching out with the gospel into the surrounding communities? And that is where the idea of vision comes in. And the vision statement that, that the leadership board is, has really been focusing on is this, that we are seeking to be a blessing to the people of our community through Christ-centered love. I mean, it's very much in line with Jeremiah chapter 29. It's very much in line with what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about being a salt and light, that we are seeking to be a blessing to our community through Christ-centered love. Now, you may be looking at it and thinking, you know, I wish it was more evangelistic. I wish it was clearer. We want to convert the whole, 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 whole community. We want everyone to come to faith in Christ. But here's a question for you. What if we put that type of vision statement out there and say, you know what, our goal and everything that we're doing is that you would repent and turn to Christ. If we do that, odds are good, walls are going to go up, and we're going to be just about as irrelevant as we already may be in people's eyes. I'm not saying we're actually irrelevant, but that's the perception that people have out there. And so the wording of this it's such that if, if we're out there trying to serve people and help people, and they ask, you know what, why are you doing this? We can say, we want to be a blessing to the people of our community through Christ-centered love. Now, what is Christ-centered love? It's this love, first of all, that we get from Christ. We look at, look at all that Christ did for us through his life, death, and resurrection. It's an extravagant, sacrificial love, generous love that we receive from Christ And Christ-centered love then says, you know what, I'm receiving that, and I want to be a conduit of God's blessing and pass on his blessing and his love to those around us in practical ways. Now, Christ-centered love also recognizes the fact that as we are seeking to be a blessing, we're doing so in Christ's name, that we are doing so in a way, ultimately, that we do want to point people to Christ. But the means that we are doing it through is by being a blessing to people, meeting people's needs in practical ways. I mean, you think about it, churches can do all kinds of great things in, in here. I mean, you can have great programs. We have, we have tremendous music in my mind. I mean, we, have, we have a great worship team. We have great programs. I mean, Vacation Bible School, it's a very well-run program every year. We have other things that go throughout the year that are great, but the majority of our, our culture around us doesn't care one bit what's going on in church. And so in order to engage our community with the gospel, we need to go out and build bridges by being a blessing to people in practical ways. Now you may be wondering, okay, what does this look like? I mean, I hear this, looks nice there on paper. What does it look like? Let me give you an example that comes from a couple hundred years ago. Back in the 1800s, there was a church in London, England called the London Tabernacle. 
The pastor of that church, you may or may not know his name. His name is Charles Spurgeon, one of the best-known preachers of all times. And his church was just bursting at the seams at that point. There were upwards of 5,000 people in church services at the London Tabernacle every single Sunday. And they came in part to hear his preaching. I mean, like I said, he was one of the best preachers ever. And he wasn't one of those preachers who watered down the biblical message in order to attract a crowd. In fact, it was the opposite of that. I mean, he, he was a fiery, passionate preacher who wasn't afraid to talk about God's holiness and God's wrath against sin, but also elevated the cross of Christ. He pointed people to the good news of what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And God was transforming people's lives in their midst. It was a very, uh, very exciting place to be. But when you look at the London Tabernacle back then, it wasn't just significant because of the preaching of Charles Spurgeon. I think it's even greater significance was what God was doing through the London Tabernacle in the broader community. You see, that era in the mid-1800s in England, as in the rest of Europe, as in America, they were undergoing the Industrial Revolution. It was a big cultural shakeup where so many people were moving from the countryside into the cities by the hundreds of thousands flooding into London. And that led to a lot of problems. It led to crime. It led to poverty. It led to homelessness. Children were living and working in absolutely appalling conditions. And in that context... You had a lot of churches who were looking at what was going on around them, how the city was changing, and they were thinking, you know what, we're kind of scared of that. We don't want anything to do with what's going on there in the world and the city around us. And so some of the churches got a fortress mentality, basically building a wall and a bubble and saying, you know what, we need to just protect ourselves and protect our children in here. Other churches literally moved a little bit further from the city center, kind of into the suburbs even though they didn't technically have suburbs then. But they tried to move away. They tried to protect themselves some. But the London Tabernacle said, no, we are called here, and we want to be a blessing to our city. And they sought to do that in practical ways. Let me give you a few examples of how God was working through them to be a blessing to their city in practical ways. One of the things they did was build low-income apartments to help People who came in and didn't yet have a job helped them get on their feet and they would be able to live there for practically nothing until they were able to get a job and get on their feet. And they built over a dozen of these low-income apartments. Until the London Tabernacle did that, there was only one such low-income apartment in the entire city. In addition to that, they built 17 fully funded nursing homes for the elderly. Now you think about how much nursing home care costs today. I mean, it's it's astonishing. They built 17 of these homes for the elderly and fully funded them. On top of that, they built a school for orphans where they would house and educate children who had no parents or um, were homeless. And 400 kids were here at the school. And they started a ministry that basically was a seminary for rural uh, pastors out in the countryside to come in. They provided books and education for these pastors to help increase the quality of their ministry. They had a ministry for single moms where they would house single moms and clothe them and, and equip them in order to work decent jobs to care for their family. They had an organization within the London Tabernacle that would equip business people to go into the city to start businesses, to provide employment, and where they would represent Christ in order to spread the kingdom of God. And the influence of the London Tabernacle was so significant 
that, I mean, it wasn't just on a spiritual level. It was a holistic, a shalom type of level, the, the seeking the peace and the vitality and the flourishing of the entire city. And it was to the point where they were influencing government. They were influencing the upper classes of society. It was to the point where if the London Tabernacle closed their doors, the city would undoubtedly grieve. There would be parts of the city that may quite practically fall apart because the London Tabernacle was doing so much. And I think about that and I think, you know what? That is a grand picture of what I'd love to see churches here in the Port Washington, Ozaki County area doing for our communities. Now, that is a, a very high standard. Uh, and I recognize that our communities are much smaller. They're different. Our church is much smaller. But I still think, you know what? We live in communities that have significant needs. We live in communities where families are struggling, where marriages are falling apart, where, where single parents are, are just really struggling just to make ends meet and, and keep the schedule afloat. We live among people who are incredibly stressed. We live among people who are dealing with financial challenges and, and employment challenges and other relational challenges. We live among people who are struggling with abuse or struggling with addictions or various health issues. I think, you know what? We as a church have the opportunity to come in and help meet these needs and be a blessing in practical ways that helps build bridges for the gospel and show the relevance of Christians and faith in Christ. And I think, you know what? There are a lot of great things about our community, but we have the opportunity to truly make a difference. And so we need to look beyond our church walls because, again, if we're just trying to draw people in, we're going to be very limited in how many people we can reach with the gospel. But if we can actually go out and represent Christ in all of our individual spheres of influence and have ways that as a church we are focusing in um, to be a blessing in an ongoing manner, I think, you know what? God can make such a huge impact in our community through us as we are seeking to be a blessing to the people of our community through Christ-centered love. I mean, I dream of... of of our communities that we live in, by, through churches linking arms with each other, I, I dream of us being a place where marriages are being strengthened, where fathers truly enjoy their children rather than running out on their families or, or just tolerating their children, but where fathers truly enjoy their children. I mean, I dream by God's grace of this being a place where teachers are truly treasured because we have a lot of people who work in schools in our midst, and I hear stories of how hard it is to be a teacher now compared to even just a couple decades ago because of so much pressure from the, from the administration and from the government and, and from parents. I think, can we build more of a dynamic in our schools where teachers are truly treasured? Can we, can we help facilitate a place where addictions are defeated where the elderly and downcast know they have advocates, where neighbors and coworkers truly care for each other, where the empty idols of pleasure and in prosperity are dethroned so that people can worship the one true God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, think about if, if, if Port Washington and the surrounding communities was a place where Christians had a reputation of extravagant kindness. And people are wondering, where, where does that come from? We can point to, you know what? God has loved us extravagantly through Christ. We want to pass on that blessing to those around us. Imagine if our communities are places where the residents are truly thriving as they experience God's love through Christ, both as we pass on his love to others and as they themselves come into a, a life-given relationship with God. I mean, think about that. I mean, it's, it's, they're big dreams, 
But what this shows is our faith is not just confined here on Sunday mornings or to us personally, but it's meant to be lived out and to be a blessing to our community through Christ-centered love. Now, in order for these things to really become a reality, we need some strategies. I mean, it's one thing to be talking about these things and put them up on the screen, but it's another thing to actually live them out. And so we are, are seeking, we have a number of ideas, but we're continuing to work on some practical strategies that can be put into place to build ongoing relationships in our community in a manner where we can be a blessing to people on an ongoing basis. We're going to be seeking the congregation's input on this process, and we still want to be ambassadors for Christ in our individual relationships, but we also want some key areas in the community that we can invest as an entire church family. And you know what? It's going to take all of us really dedicating ourselves, working together, giving of our time, our energy, our prayers, our finances. But as we do so, we can be a blessing to the people of our community through Christ and our love and see God do things that are well beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Now, in closing, I want to share one other thing. It's really an encouraging uh, thing that I think will really help us in implementing this vision of being a blessing to our community. At this point, I'm going to ask Bob,